For those of us who have put together resumes recently, or maybe even in the past, uh, you kind of know how this game works with a resume, right? You try to think back through your entire life to all your best and brightest moments and uh, put it all on paper to make yourself look as good as possible. You think of references to lists that are people that really like you and will say nice things about you. And you know, you're, you're pretty confident that you're going to pass whatever background checks they put you through to, to get the job. So you play the game, right? You try to look as good as you can. So they'll look at you and say, wow, this is a person that has a lot of value. We got to get them on our team. But if you're an employer, uh, you're an HR, you do hiring, you know what it's like from your perspective too. You look at these resumes that come in and you say, okay, well, here's, here's a person. Here's the best and brightest, uh, everything they've got to offer, their qualifications, their strengths. You know, they look pretty good. Okay, they might have some skills we can use. And here's the list of references. Okay, well, I'm sure they just pick people that are going to say great things about them, but maybe I'll give one or two of those a call and uh, just see if I can learn a little bit more, dig a little bit deeper, and well, let's put them through the background check and just make sure they're you know, pretty good citizens, you know, a good person, and then, then maybe we'll have a face-to-face -face and, and see if it's a good fit. We all play this game, don't we? Right? Put our best foot forward, and then the person evaluating us is like, yeah, but I know this is their best foot, and maybe it's not even like the true picture of who they are, but it looks good enough for me to be willing to inquire a little bit more. Well, as we continue this exploration of Christianity as a form of apprenticeship, you know, becoming a Christian, meaning apprenticing ourselves to Jesus Christ, I began thinking about what would it look like to submit our resumes to Jesus, to become his apprentices? What sort of resumes is Jesus looking for? What sort of things do we have to put on our resume to be qualified for his position? his apprentice. And as he's evaluating these stacks of papers, what sort of things stand out to him? You know, last week we talked about uh, what the position description would look like. You know, what is Jesus looking for from people who would be apprenticed to him? Not just students who are looking to be educated in some of the teachings of Christ, but actually a disciple, actually a Christian, actually a follower, actually an adherent, a practitioner, an apprentice of Jesus. So we're just taking it to the next step. And I hope actually that this conversation about us as apprentices, Christians, apprentice to Christ, uh, I hope to dig into this for quite some time and really explore what that looks like. What does it mean to be a Christian? Because that's what I want to be. I want to be an apprentice of Christ. I want to look like his first disciples did as they followed him around and learned from him how to live. Look at the difference they made in the world. That's what I want for us as a church, to live as apprentices of Jesus and to evaluate our lives, not based on how much information we have, you know, teacher to student, that way of looking at Christ, but to evaluate ourselves based on the skills that we've learned from Christ in grace and healing and wisdom and uh, courage versus fear, those sorts of practical skills that he gives us. So we're continuing the conversation here and thinking about resumes. And as I compared the two, it made me think that actually the kind of resumes that Jesus is looking for is exactly the opposite kind of resumes that the world is looking for. Exactly the opposite. You can't come to Jesus and say, I want to be your apprentice, and I'm so amazing, you hardly even need me. Or look how great I am. I've got all these skills and talents. You definitely want me on your team. Actually, what Jesus is looking for is people who know how much they need him 
and who are willing to honestly look in the mirror and say, these are my weaknesses, these are my failings, this is my sin, this is my flesh, which is just so weak. You know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Uh, Jesus, will you accept me? And he's like, ah, here, I'm looking for someone who is pliable and moldable, who I can teach to walk my way of life. And if you come in with everything all figured out, what do I have to offer you? What are you going to learn from me if you think that we're peers? I want an apprentice who is going to soak up everything that I say and actually put it into practice. So the resume that Jesus is looking for is a list of all of our weaknesses and how he can be the solution for them. It's a list of all of our failures <clears throat> saying these are what we got on our own when we were trying to do it our way, the world's way. This is where pride got us. This is where arrogance got us. This is where our pursuit of money got us. This is where our anger problem got us. This is where our addictions got us. This is where alcohol got us. And then he can look at those failings and say, ah, oh, so you're looking for a better way a different way, a narrow way. Broad is the way. There's lots of options to lead to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. Okay, you're qualified now. And the references, instead of people who just say all the best things about us, the references that Jesus would want would be someone who saw us at our lowest moment. It's like, yeah, at this point, they really just bottomed out. And they, they knew that they needed God. He's like, ah, so we need like poor references you know, references people who've seen us at our worst. We need a resume of all of our failures and weaknesses, and we need to kind of fail the background check. Then we're qualified to become an apprentice of Christ, because that's what he's looking for. We who acknowledge, not who like make ourselves look great, but who acknowledge that we're just a person on our own in this world, and we need more than us if we're going to survive and thrive, and our success is not dependent upon us but upon forces and powers and things much greater than us. And so we need a master who loves us, who will be helping us to do what we could never do on our own. And so I was just really compelled by that comparison of our, our resumes and success versus failures being what qualify us. And so I, I wanted to read some scriptures that talk about uh, what Jesus's qualifications are, how we need to look at ourselves how we, we view our, our flesh, how we view our mistakes and failures in the past, how we view our need, because we really need to be sure of this. A lot of people feel like we're good people. You know, if I'm kind of a good enough person, then I'll get into heaven. I'm not as bad as that person. Um, but it's not good people that get into heaven. To quote a line from Andy Stanley's book uh, on this exact topic, you know, who gets into heaven, who doesn't. The book is called um, How Good is Good Enough. Like, if I'm just a little bit better, can I get into heaven? But I was just a little bit worse, I can't. What's that line? What's the minimum level of goodness to make me say, well, I know I'm going to heaven? He said in there, it's a great line. He said, it's not good people that get into heaven. It's forgiven people. Andy Stanley in his book, How Good is Good Enough, uh, says, it's not good people that get to heaven, it's forgiven people. And so we come to Christ with all the things we need forgiveness for, a very vulnerable and genuine list of our flaws and faults. And he says, ah, good, I've got you. I got those covered. Step right up. That, that qualifies you for apprenticeship to me. Will you commit your life to me, your eternity to me? He says, oh, I can work with that. But someone who comes in knowing it all, 
you know, feeling like they're a pretty good person, feeling like sin is very an outdated concept, you know, that the Bible's perspectives on right and wrong is, you know, antiquated. Jesus is like, well, then you're actually trying to tell me what the position is. You're trying to tell me that you don't actually need me, yet you want to apply to become my apprentice. You're telling me they don't really need very much to change, except I'm looking to change everything in you. And you're telling me that, you know, how I think about things is not how you think about things. So if we're going to take this job, Jesus, you're going to have to accommodate some areas. You're going to have to let some of those things go that you said in the Bible because we have our preconceived ideas and, like, we're set in, in stone on certain things we're not going to give up. He's like, well, that doesn't qualify you to become my apprentice. That doesn't qualify you to become our apprentice. It's almost like when he's posting the job, there's a little footnote, a little asterisk that says, perfect people need not apply. Perfect people need not apply. That's not who Jesus is looking for. Uh, he says, uh, one of the, the famous phrases, he says from Luke, Jesus said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And repentance doesn't just mean like a guilty conscience. Oh, I'm so sorry. We think of repentance that way. Repentance just means like a change of life, a 180 degree turn. It's the Greek word metanoia. It just means like an about face. So Jesus is looking to find people who see their own sins and recognize their need for God, which we all have, but some people don't see it. Those who see it come to him. And he's like, well, let's turn that around. Let's go in the other direction. I'll show you how. I'll teach you everything I know, and I'll help you develop the skills that you need to actually live it out. I'll be with you always. So this is Jesus' perspective on it. Here are some other verses from the Bible to kind of paint the picture of what sort of resumes Jesus is looking for. Romans 3, 22 to 24 says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all can be justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Alright, so all have sinned and fall short. All of us can have a resume of our lowest moments. None of us is perfect. We would admit that. Some of us just think we're good enough. And Jesus is saying it's not about good enough, it's about forgiven, it's about commit, it's about let me redeem you because you know you need it. So the resume is all have sinned. It doesn't matter what race, what gender, what age, there's no distinction. People are people and have always been people. And I and you, we sin and we fall short and we can all be justified, we can be forgiven as long as we recognize that we got to bring our guilt to him to be forgiven, and he takes it from there. So that's one description of the resume that Jesus is looking for. How about 1 John chapter 1, 5 through 10? He writes, This is the message that we have heard from him, from Jesus, and we proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. We do not practice Check that word. We do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess, which just means admit, it doesn't mean like a confessional thing. For confess just means we speak it. If we say, if we admit our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. But if we say we haven't sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So there's a prerequisite, a prerequisite for qualifying for this position of apprentice to Jesus. We just have to be honest. 
We can't try to put on a mask or a facade or try to pretend to be something we're not. Christ's people are humble people who recognize their need for him. He is Lord. So that means they know they are not and nothing else is. And so it probably means they've tried all these other options and just failed in them. And they've shown how weak and temporary and ineffective they are. So they say, okay, Jesus, I give up all this stuff. Here's what I've got. The little bit that I am, all of my failures. And he says, good, we can work with that. How about 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25 and following? Paul writes that the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. He says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing that things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made to be our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Romans 3.10 says, No one is righteous. No, not one. In Luke 18.19, Jesus himself said, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not be a false witness. Honor your father and mother. The person he was speaking to says, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, looking at him with sadness, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Someone over here says, well, Jesus, I don't need you for money problems. I don't have any money problems. And Jesus is like, well, yeah, but you also love your money so much that you're going to work for it instead of for me. So you can't be both my apprentice and love money as much as you do. So just give yours away. Let's go and do life together. Be my apprentice. So this person on his resume was saying, well, I need help maybe with my, my um, religious practices. I need help you know, being a good person. Uh, but he wasn't offering his whole life to Jesus. And so when Jesus says, well, what about all this money that you care so, so much about and which rules your life and you're very wealthy? And he's like, that, I didn't offer you that on my resume. I left that off. And Jesus is like, you can't. You can't. Now this is the, the last scripture to read at this part of this talk. And it, it speaks to the fact that we're all born sinful. You know, there's the doctrines of total depravity. That's from scripture. We talk about all of sin and fall short. Total depravity just means that we're completely sinful. Like there isn't just part of us that's godly and part of us that's fleshly. We're just completely mortal, normal, human, fleshly people until Jesus redeems us. So you're either or. We talked about not being able to both have this job as a full-time job and another job as a full-time job. Well, this total depravity just means that we're born into a sinful state. Uh, we read back in Genesis that God put a curse on Adam and Eve and all of their descendants because of that sin. And we don't need to blame even Adam and Eve totally either because we know that we're guilty of our own sins. So we just continue in the long lines of people who sin, who fall short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
Uh, the word sin means missing the mark. It was an ancient Greek archery term. When you shoot at the target, you miss the target. You, there was a sin, one sin, one hit, you know, one sin, two sins, uh, one bullseye. It's, it's a missing. We know that we're not perfect. And that's what sins are. They're all of our imperfections just laid out on our resume for Jesus to see. So it's total depravity. And then the, the other part of that is not just that we're born into sin fully, uh, but that it's where we start. And that's called original sin. This is another doctrine that the Bible teaches. We're all born into sin. And it's just what we've inherited, just like DNA. We inherit a fleshly nature. We are vessels. So we're sort of like waiting and willing receptacles. And either we're going to fill our hearts with the love of money or with the following of other gods or other religions or idolizing ourselves, self-interest, or we're going to take that open and vulnerable vessel, our soul, and commit to Christ and have it be filled with God and with his spirit. So we're born, you know, spiritual beings, um, but we're not born saved. Uh, Christians aren't born, they're made. It's apprenticeship. You need to apply, you need to be accepted, you need to be chosen, and then you need to be sort of like inaugurated and commissioned into the job, that this is the salvation process. And no one starts in this place. We all start here and go in. So this last scripture here from Psalm 51, David just says it uh, so perfectly. So I'm going to read that to us, verses 1 through 13. Um, it actually says at the heading here, it's a Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So this is after the lowest moment in King David's life where a prophet of God confronts him and says, God knows what you did. Lay the resume out honestly, David. Don't pretend to be this perfect, sinless king. You know what you did. You are the one who sinned. Murder and adultery and lying. Like you've broken so many of the commandments here. It's not even funny. And it, God knows. And so David then, brokenhearted, comes back to God, confesses, he repents, he seeks God's mercy. So he takes an honest resume, brings it to God and says, this is where I am. I know how much I need you. And this beautiful Psalm, Psalm 51, is a, a, a submission of an honest resume, a looking for God to redeem him and to restore a, a right spirit within him. So hearing that, let's read together Psalm 51, 1 through 13. David writes, Have mercy on me, O God, <clears throat> according to your <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice." Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. 
So he's saying, please just have mercy on me so that I can, in my honesty, speak to others who are caught and stuck in their sins. There's a God that restores spirits, restores hearts, who cleanses sin. Nothing is too bad to be forgiven. No one is too far gone. When we get into religious circles, we we tend to want to make ourselves look good. You You go on Sunday morning service and you dress nicer and you smile more and you keep it superficial and you don't really go there often bearing your soul with all your worst moments. But those worst moments are actually our qualifications for being saved in the first place. And so we need to be able to be honest, honest with God, honest with ourselves and hopeful. This is a God who restores and Jesus is a Lord who, when we apprentice to him, will forgive. He'll wipe the slate clean. And there's a lot of hope in that, a lot of joy. So those scriptures kind of paint the point. I wanted to focus on those doctrines of sin as the Bible lays them out so we can be clear. You know, we're all born born to sin. We're, We're completely sinful and set apart from God until and unless we take the honest representation of our resume, put it before Christ and say, can you please accept us? And then he says, yes, I've been waiting for you. You know, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am humble and gentle in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. Like that's the acceptance letter into apprenticeship. That's Matthew chapter 11 if you'd like to look it up. So let's make this as practical as we can. I kind of envisioned five different people, how they might apply to Jesus for this apprenticeship. They're all coming from different standpoints. Maybe these are things we can relate to. Maybe it's people in our lives we can think of and imagine this might be how they're approaching Jesus. Um, But in any rate, I need us to think about what we have on a resume and whether or not we are apprentices of Christ. And as we're in conversations with others, be thinking about how do we help them meet Jesus? Well, this is what it looks like. And here's five different ways people might submit a resume and and five responses that he might give. So first is the person who asked Jesus to accept them into apprenticeship, acknowledging their struggle with a specific sin or addiction or an emotion or a desire, but they don't feel they need help with their relationships or their finances or their family or their internal life or their future dreams and aspirations. What would Jesus say to them? So we touched on this a little bit before. This is the person who says, I have these specific areas in my life. and I know I need you for this. But these other areas, I really don't need your help with. I don't need your help knowing how to use my money. I've got the money thing down. I don't need your help knowing how to love my spouse. You know, I got that figured out. I don't need your help um, being a good person. I've got that figured out, but I really need help with gambling. I don't know how to say no to the scratch tickets every time I go to fill up with gas. I, I don't know how to stop this. Can you help me with just this limited area of my life? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Count the cost. Jesus won't accept a resume from someone who's offering them a part of their lives. So that resume is not accepted. You're not qualified for whole life apprenticeship if you're only offering part-time availability. Second person. Second person is the one who says that they're basically good, but would like to learn a few more techniques for success and happiness from Jesus. So this is someone who's like, I've got a lot of things figured out. I've actually, I've done a lot of personal enrichment. I've read a lot of books. I've gone a lot of seminars and I've tried to learn from my parents and family and my experiences. And so, you know, I've got a lot of things figured out here, but Jesus, man, it really seems like he's got a corner on the market. 
he's got wisdom that I don't have. I would love to add his wisdom to my life and get further than I've been able to get on my own. How does Jesus respond to a person like this? Well, he did it to the the rich young ruler. He said, who are you calling good? Don't you know that no one's good? So your whole perspective on yourself, your whole self-image is a lie because you think you're good. So that means you're actually blind to your sin. Don't realize how far you are from perfection and the glory of God. You are not feeling convicted in any way and you're not going to need me to die on the cross for you because you don't think that your sins are really bad enough to need it. So you're looking for a teacher. He said, I'm not just a teacher. I'm the son of man who came to die to pay for the sins of the world, the Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb. So who are you looking to be apprenticed to? If you just need wisdom, go find some man, some human, where you can learn a few more tips on how to be a better person. But if you're coming to Christ, it's because you need saving, which means you're losing, you're dying, you're failing, and you need someone to throw you a lifeline, be saved. So Jesus would reject that application. It wouldn't make it into the, you know, the consideration pile as he's going through resumes because the whole person's worldview is incorrect. It's not accurate. They're not good. They think they are, but they're not. All right, so our third person is the person who looks at their faults and their weaknesses and their sins and said, you know, God made me this way, so there must be nothing wrong with this. This is just normal. So they come, they want to apprentice to Christ and want to be a Christian, but that anger problem that they're struggling with is just is just a combination of their personality and their upbringing. It's how their parents were when they grew up, and, you know, everybody's got struggles that they need to go with. So it's someone coming and saying, I want to follow you, Jesus, but saying, well, if God didn't want me to have an anger problem, he wouldn't have made me be born this way. How would Jesus respond to that? He'd say, well, don't you recognize that sin has corrupted everything about us, the way we're born is not perfect. No one's born perfect. We're born flawed. We're born corrupted. It's original sin. It's total depravity. So if those things are true, then the way we are from birth is not the way we're meant to be. It's a corrupted, broken version of who we're meant to be. So you'll see hints of it in us as we grow up, as we, like the, the things that are our strengths, the things that are like beautiful potential, but it's flawed and broken and it will be ineffective, unsuccessful versions of being who we are unless we turn all that over to God and say, I know you want to make me into who I was meant to be. Think before Adam and Eve, before sin, you want to take my sin away and allow me to actually be who I have the potential to be despite the tainted and corrupted nature of my flesh. Despite my weaknesses, you want to make me special. You want to restore me and redeem me. So Jesus would look at someone who's like, well, I'm willing to give you my whole life, but you know, this is just who I am. I just have this problem with anger and I have this addiction or I have this uh, whatever. And he is saying, you need to turn those things over. You need to not accept them, embrace them, make a little safe, protective place for our sins and say, well, that's how God made me. That's how I was born. And just like, well, that's how you were born sinful, but we're going, we're going for more than that. And apprenticeship to me is going to take those things and actually turn them 
into what they're meant to be. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. So we have so much that God can do with us, but we can't hang on to our flawed self and just say, well, this is who I was meant to be. You know, along that line, a little tangent, in Romans 7, Paul writes about this this believer that's struggling. The things I want to do, I can't do. And, and then he says, but thank goodness, chapter 8, verse 1, you know, we have been set free from that by Christ Jesus. I think a lot of times Christians settle in chapter 7 of Romans saying, well, it's just a struggle. These are just the flaws. It's what I'm stuck with. Instead of saying, Jesus, you came to restore, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. It is for freedom that you've been set free. So we should not just uh, settle for sins in our lives, settle for, well, this is how I was born, this is who I am. We're looking for it to be made new, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, fourth person, like I said, there's five, this one and, and one more quickly. The fourth person could be the person who agrees with Jesus about some of the things he calls sins, that Jesus calls sins, but not other things. So he wants to negotiate the apprenticeship contract with him to accommodate the applicant's opinions. The applicant looks at Jesus and says, oh, this is your, your position description. You're looking for these things. Well, I can agree to one, three, five, and seven, maybe eight, some of the time, but uh, two, four, six, and nine, like those are not, I don't agree with those things. So if you look at in the Bible's terms, it's like, well, I like this part of the Bible, but I don't like that part of the Bible. So let's negotiate. I'll become your apprentice if you'll let this part go, if you go a little bit easier on this issue, if you'll drop this one entirely, and uh, if I just get to do whatever I want with this one. And Jesus is like, no, it's my position description. You're joining me. It's not a negotiation. You are applying. And so you willingly set down whatever your opinions are, whatever your worldview is, and you become a moldable lump of clay for me to make into my image. Not for you to make me in your image. This is not a discussion between equals. There's a master and there's an apprentice. And you hope desperately that you'll be accepted. And you're not going to negotiate and try to get the position to become what you want. Because you're in the problems you're in in the first place because of doing things the way you want. We have to come to Christ and say, tell me how to do things the way you want so they can actually turn out in the long run to be for my good. In ways that I never could have anticipated. You're the master. You set the rules. That's the application. That's the resume that's going to get onto the desk of Christ. That's going to get qualify, qualified for his apprenticeship. And fifth, this would be the person who offers Jesus their talents and strengths, their hearts and minds as assets for him to use however he wants to. This is the person that instead of coming with a list of weaknesses, they're like, ah, oh, Jesus, you, I, I come and I had the privilege of having this great education and uh, I have you know, a healthy body. I can go places. I can serve. I can talk. I can communicate. I, uh, you know, I've, I've networked. I have these connections with people in the world. I could be an influential person for you. And I've put into practice a lot of the things that I've seen in scripture. And so I've got all this to offer. Jesus is like, well, that's nice, but I actually chose fishermen and tax collectors and prostitutes for my first band of disciples, so I'm not looking for the best and brightest. I'm actually looking for the willing and the desperate. So you're not supposed to be coming to me telling me how great you are. You're supposed to come to me and tell me how desperate you are and allow me to make you great. I think if we come to Jesus with all of our strengths as if we're an asset, uh, that's not the kind of resume that makes it into the acceptance pile for him. 
I think he's looking for people that know that we're liabilities and that we're flawed. That he said, well, they're looking for a savior. And that's what I am, a savior. Um, I want us to have our resumes accepted. I want us to all truly be apprentices of Christ. And knowing where we stand as we approach him in this is the fundamental place to begin. So three closing points just to kind of summarize it all. The first thing, looking at it from this perspective should make us grateful for our failures and grateful for our weaknesses. And we're not typically, especially as Americans who want to succeed and who want to be driven by self-will and by ambition and like make it work and... We don't typically feel good about our failures, but we should actually be grateful for our failures, for the times we've fallen flat on our face, because when we lay them out, those things actually qualify us for apprenticeship to Christ. So it's exactly our failings and the places we've realized that we've crashed and burned in our lives that make us qualified to become Christians. If we didn't have those, we would be coming to Jesus without any recognition of how weak we really are, without, how much, without knowing how much we need a Savior. So, is sin good? No. But we can be grateful for those times where God in His mercy led us through a crazy trial, a crazy failure, a crazy sin, <clears throat> so that we could survive on the other side of it and just see ourselves for who we are, a genuine reflection in the mirror. Wow. Reflection isn't always that pretty. Perfect. That's the resume that Jesus is looking to accept. Second thing that we conclude from all of this is that it's so important to have courage to be honest and vulnerable with one another as Christians. Because the minute that we put up a front and try to pretend like we have it all figured out or that we look really good or we're good people, we're not representing an honest look at a human, ourselves, we're giving the, the painted resume with the really nice references and all our, our high points and greatest successes. How was that going to make someone feel when they look at their own weaknesses? And then we compare ourselves to one another and say, oh, that's a better Christian than me. I could never pray like them. Or, oh, look, they went overseas as a missionary. That person gives so much to, you know, aid to the poor or donates so much of their time. Like those sorts of things are based on merit and based on competition and based on judgment of who's better and who's worse. Jesus is saying, be vulnerable and honest with one another. Say, these have been my lowest moments. And that's exactly where Jesus stepped in and said, come with me. And If Jesus can work with me in my lowest moments, I know he can work with you in your lowest moments. See, now all of a sudden, that sort of a vulnerable, very genuine, honest approach to faith will draw people into Jesus because everyone, when they're honest with themselves, realize these are the areas that I struggle with too. And man, wouldn't it be nice to not feel so guilty or not feel like I've got the weight of the world on my shoulders and not feel ashamed of myself? We look at our failures and we say, We could be ashamed of those things, but those things actually have become the greatest moments for Jesus to save us. So God, thank you and your mercy of bringing us through that. And Jesus, thank you for saving us despite that. But this is the truth of it. This resume is the truth of it. Have courage in your Christian gatherings with your Christian friends and certainly with your non-believing friends to talk openly about your lowest moments. Because then in their lowest moments, when they become confronted in the mirror with the reflection not being all that pretty they'll realize, well, that's what Jesus is inviting people to.
you know, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let Jesus actually invite the people who will recognize him as Savior. Instead of painting religion and Christianity as this bunch of perfect people, well, then will be a big turnoff to everybody who has needs, but those are exactly the sort of people that Jesus wants. Sinners, not the righteous. So if we can remind ourselves of all that God has saved us from, then Jesus will be through us to the world who he wants to be. And he's not looking for perfect people. You know, perfect people need not apply. Brings me to the third conclusion, and I'll, I'll close with this. <sighs> Recognize that all the things we're saying about our sins and about vulnerability and openness and our weakness and whatnot, these are the truths of an applicant to Christ's position of apprentice. These are not the description of what the person is like after becoming an apprentice of Christ. A lot of times we fall into the trap of after we're apprenticed to Jesus, we're following him, we're learning from him, we say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Yes, but you're defining yourself as a sinner. Well, that's what we were and what qualified us, but once we become an apprentice, we are no longer that sinner person. We are redeemed. We can say, I'm a redeemed person saved by grace. I am a restoration project that Jesus is working on. I am an apprentice to him and he's delivered me from so many things. We, we don't keep going through life saying, woe is me. How could I not match up? Why? I just keep failing, keep failing. When you're an apprentice, you're not expected to have all the skills. You're just being taught them as you go. So we don't look at ourselves as in our, our walk with Jesus as failures, as sinful, as lost, as hopeless, as whatever. We're succeeding and we're being crafted. We're being remade in his image. We're being sanctified. We're being transformed. He's working on us. So when we share in our, our vulnerable moments, it's not, oh, well, I'm just a this and I could never this and I could never that. That's just the resume of somebody applying for the apprenticeship. Once you're in it, it's, I used to be, I once was, sometimes I still struggle with, but, or Jesus is working on this part of me that I was born with, my, my fear, my, my low self-esteem, my, my sense of worth, my addictive personality, my anger problems. Like, whatever he's working on is like, oh man, Jesus has given me some skills to work on that. And he's been transforming me through the power of his spirit. It's so good to be an apprentice to Jesus because look what he can work with. And I'm not there yet. <laughs> But bit by bit, I am just so glad to be working with him on these things instead of left on my own trying to just struggle through them and survive. So don't let our resume become our identity as apprentices. It's merely what qualifies us. Once we're here, we are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So church, be thinking about what your resume looks like when you talk with other Christians. They say, you know, tell me about your faith. Do you bring out the greatest hits? Or do you bring out the truth? Do you stay in this place and the what was me? You know, we're sinners and it's a struggle. Or are you an apprentice of Christ who's been taken from wherever we were into participation with him in his kingdom work, in his glory, and in our transformation? I'll be praying for you this week that God speaks to you about your relationship with the Master and that he gives you the right words to say in talking with the world around us and inviting them to become apprentices to Christ as well. God bless you this week.